Hey, so good news. The Feisty Women's Performance Summit is back for its second year in 2022. I don't know about you, but at Feisty, we're pretty sick of the predatory BS that we've observed in the fitness industry. The quote unquote women's market is a target for fad diets, miracle workouts, and the usual shrink it and pink it marketing bunk. So enter the Feisty Women's Performance Summit, where we're going to bring together information you can trust so you can learn, grow, and succeed by working with your female physiology, not against it. It's not about standing on a podium, although we all know that some of us will. It's about being able to do the things we love throughout our lives. This year's virtual summit will take place March 25th to 27th, and you'll get three days of education, demonstrations, and inspiration from top-of-the-class vetted professionals who will provide you with the knowledge you need to reach your goals. And if you can't make the summit on the weekend, the replays will be available for you all year long. So head on over to womensperformance.com to get all the deets. That's womensperformance.com. The link will be in the show notes. So Lisa, I have been somewhat following the trolls in regards to coach Sydney Carter and the non-issue issue of her attire on the sideline of a women's basketball game. Uh And I'm feeling real Serena-ish about this topic where once again, we have a woman who is targeted by someone else's discomfort in response to what she's chosen to wear. And I'm just, I'm done with it, Lisa. I'm done. I I am so done with people's critiques, right? I I just think we need to get it all out because this is one Mm -hmm. of a laundry list of women who have been targeted for doing nothing but a great job in their role, minding their own business and looking and feeling great while doing it. And it sucks. I'm just, I'm tired. I'm tired. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, the quote unquote people who are critiquing her are probably primarily white dudes is my guess Um, because it just feels like a veiled attempt to discredit her because she is an African-American woman coaching basketball. That is historically the domain of white men and they're pissed about that. So how do they undercut her? Well, let's just critique her clothing because that's acceptable. Yeah, that's low hanging fruit to go ahead and target her. So I think we need to dissect this and really think about what this says about the critics, right? So let's let's dive in. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. So Lisa, I actually heard about the story before I saw what coach Sydney Carter was wearing. Right. So I kind of did this in reverse order and (laughs) I was underwhelmed when I saw what coach Sydney was wearing. Um, I pulled up the picture and saw that she was fully covered from neck down, fully covered wearing a white turtleneck, 
pink pants, a pink uh, ribbon due to some cause on her sweater. And it was claimed to be, quote, wildly inappropriate. What? D- uh, no, no way. No, I, I'm expecting skin. I'm expecting, right, right. you know, whatever stereotype of a man, you know, that, that a yeah. man would think. And I felt I didn't even find the stereotype, Lisa. That's why I'm like, what in the world is going on here? What's going on? Wildly inappropriate. Dear Lord. And, and the things that they pointed out that were wildly inappropriate, quote unquote, were, you know, her braids were too long because she had very long braids in her hair. Um, she had clear heels on. And so then the question was, well, can you wear those on hardwood floor? Um, the, the pants that she wore, they claimed were too tight, for example. And I'm thinking to myself, really, really, is this what we're talking about now? Because, you know, Again, this goes back to the shallow conversation of what Coach Carter was wearing rather than her credentials, right? She's yeah. got a long resume, a long one, but we're talking about pink pants here and heels. Really? Get out of here. Like, okay. <laughs> I saw the picture and was really confused because I, you know, I didn't. I mean, outside of the the pants being pink and they are shiny, not, I don't, I'm like trying to find like what possibly could it be, right? Cause I, yeah, white, right. white top, pink pants and heels. So then I was like, is it the heels that people are concerned about because she can't like run around on the court? I, but I don't, yeah, yeah, I'm always lost for words in trying to understand um, other than, you know, like I had said in the intro, it's just a veiled attempt to undercut her because she is creeping into a space that she's not wanted. Right. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But you're right. Like, and then there's more to the story in terms of the pink, right. Cause it sounds like the pink was purposeful. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And, and based on the social media that I looked at based on Sydney's actual tweeted post of herself, because this is what she does after every game. Game 22, she posted four photos. One of them happened to be her standing on her own, but then there was another picture that showed the bench and the the women had pink sneakers on for the game. There was another uh, coaching staff member that also had on a pink dress. Clearly the pink was thematic. There was a theme going on there. So, okay, so there couldn't be something wrong with the pink, right? So what in the world is the problem here? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. So there obviously is something going on with the pink, but that is, you know, suspiciously absent from all of the commentaries. Um, so she's either being um, sex- uh, over-sexualized, right? Because she's wearing tight clothing. Right. So you have a bunch of men talking about how beautiful she is and how um, curvaceous and lovely, right? And then, or you have another group of men talking about how it's inappropriate attire for a coach on the sidelines of a basketball game, which is just the stupidest argument. And I almost feel like we don't need to give that any more airtime. Right, Um, right, right. You know, and it just is another example of the kind of shit that women of color have to put up with um, in terms of working harder, um, you know, having to have such a pristine background and reputation to get somewhere that a mediocre white dude can get quite easily. Oh yeah, absolutely. And and I see it creeping up 
based on race and gender, right, Lisa? Yeah. So, oh, yeah. you know, we, we can go down her rap sheet where she played basketball at Texas A&M, where, you know, they went to an NCAA title when she was a junior. She was third round, selected third round in 2012 in the WNBA draft. And so she played for Chicago Sky. She's got a long list. She, she went on to play for Connecticut Suns. She's got a long history of, um, of her own athletic prowess as well as her coaching prowess um, in women's basketball. And so it's kind of encroaching upon, oh goodness, all right, here she comes. Here she comes in, into our field. And here she comes into the quote unquote Pat Summit field as well, because you have her creeping into coaching, which has often been seen as men's domain. And the one woman that was overwhelmingly accepted in coaching was Pat Summit. And now you have a woman of color encroaching upon a white woman's legacy at the same time. Of course, folks are going to have problems with it. Yeah. So this scarcity model, right? There's not enough coaching spots for women to go around. And if we're going to get, give one, it's going to go to a white woman. And then we can't possibly have a woman of color be right. better than the white woman or potentially exceed that person's legacy. That's right. You know? That's right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, you know, for me, uh, that's, uh, you know, problematic. And, and fortunately we have folks like Dawn Staley who, you know, we have a, a great cadre of women of color that are in coaching, but, you know, again, it's, th they might show up in something different and they might not say a word to them or about them because they are dressing to whomever's definition of professionalism. But apparently a white turtleneck, pink pants and heels aren't considered as someone's level of professionalism. So there has to be something wrong with Coach Carter. Get right. out of here. Yeah. Get out. You know, so, I, I, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it's absolutely stupid. And I'm guessing white male coach shows up in a pink suit or pink jeans or pink pants of some kind because he and the team are honoring like breast cancer awareness or something that has pink as the color, um, he is going to get applauded would be my guess. Right. Mm, there you go. There you go. Yeah. Because the first thing, even, even if someone felt he looked ridiculous, the first thing would not be judgment. It would be, Oh, there must be some cause going on. Right. Yep. Yep. Rather than personal attack of there's something wrong with her showing up thinking that she can wear that. And that's professional come on. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, yeah. And, and, you know, and to speak to, you know, the, the men's point of view here now, I will, uh, you know, publicly appreciate um, a former coach at Texas A&M, a uh, former assistant coach, Bob Starkey. He came to, you know, make it clear that, wait a minute, I know y'all are critiquing this in social media, but um, he said, quote, Sydney is even more beautiful on the inside and a, an amazing woman and one of my heroes, in fact. Um, so I do appreciate that there are some male allies out there, but frankly, it shouldn't even be necessary. And based on that man's tweet, that's telling me that people are once again looking at certain standards of beauty, professionalism. I, again, that over-sexualized piece that is said without being said, it, it feels very Serena-ish to me. Yeah. And it has nothing to do with Sydney and everything to do with people being uncomfortable and needing to blame it on someone. Right. Mostly my, white men being uncomfortable and needing to blame it on someone. 
Yeah. And then you've also got, okay, so let's say, so the, the former coach ally who made that comment, if his comment um, suppressed or reduced the amount or the level of critique she was getting, that's really interesting too, right? Because then you have a man mm. stepping in and his mm-hmm. word is more valuable than her saying, I'll wear what I want. Like, I'm going to be me or, you know, like. Right, right. So, so, I mean, I don't know what the effect of the tweet was, his tweet, but I would right. guess that some people were like, oh, okay. Like, it's not enough just for her to say something. You need to be back yeah. up dude. Yeah. And, and I would be interested to know which came first that uh, former assistant coaches tweet or her, her tweet um, or her Instagram post. Um, she did post saying, thank you to everyone for your support and kind words over the last few days. Representation matters as a black woman in coaching. I take pride in showing that people who look like me don't have to diminish our light to appeal to others whose opinions never mattered anyway. And then she goes on to say, I will continue to unapologetically be myself, apply pressure and show that black women can express our individuality while doing our jobs at a high level. Right. And so, you know, she made that comment, which I think is, is, you know, (laughs) couldn't have said it better. I mean, just, and I love how she approached it. um, And I wish she didn't have to approach it at all um, because it it should not have been a necessary statement to defend herself. Um, and so I just feel like it's, it's non-news news. Um, and so, yeah, I, I just feel like this is a huge mirror reflection on anyone and everyone who felt uncomfortable looking at the photos that she's been posting after every game anyway. This was not a, a new yeah. thing. Right. So let's switch the focus from her then to the trolls, to the people who are finding that they have a problem with this and mm-hmm. thinking about what does it mean when we judge others for a number of things, but in particular what folks are wearing? And I can share a story related to this. So yesterday I was at Target and I saw a presumably mother and child at the cash desk checking out and the child, um, I don't know how old, probably in her teens, um, white couple, they, um, she was wearing, well, I guess, I don't know. She, I'm reading her as a woman. She, they may not be, um, very, very short shorts. And I had like this immediate re- reaction with like, ooh, that's an interesting dress choice. It's also snowed here, so it's not warm. Um, and so mm-hmm. like, the, 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 uh, le- her leg was completely exposed. And then I caught myself in that moment and was like, okay, you're making a judgment. It's not up to you. Um, just because you might not choose to wear that doesn't mean that this person that you're watching doesn't have the right to wear whatever they want, right. To express themselves in whatever way they feel. And right. Right. um, Mom is fine with that. And mom is supportive. Not that that necessarily matters, but then I kind of went down the rabbit hole of, well, what if that was my kid and someone came up to me and told me that it was inappropriate what my child was wearing, how would I respond? And then I was like, I wonder whether that's ever happened. And the mom has had to, anyway, (laughs) probably too much there for a podcast, but Right, right, like there's this um, because we've been socialized in a certain way about what is and is not appropriate, particularly with dress in certain spaces and in certain bodies that we, uh, you know, we flinch. We have this immediate response. And I think part of the struggle Hmm. with DEI and things like this and bias is catching it, is catching it before you move forward with that critique. Yes, 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 yes. Well, and. Sadly, I can say that I've been there, 
you know, I've, I've been there in those situations where, again, being the target, you know, that was one of the things that I found. Um, and actually one of the reasons why I took a hiatus from my particular denomination after being very young, um, coming into my denomination relatively young as a, um, as clergy, as someone who was ordained as a deacon um, in my wider denomination. And one of the first things I heard, which was very interesting, um, actually came from another woman who was of an older generation that said to me, it's very inappropriate, Shauna, for you to wear pants as a practicing ordained clergy member in a congregation. Now, I thought that was very interesting because I had come from a, how can I say, I'd come from a predominantly campus ministry setting, which is usually very small. You don't have these very elaborate and ornate churches and places of worship. Usually they are storefront, very small. Um, If you have a pulpit, it's very close to your congregation. And one of the things that you don't necessarily want in such close quarters is that you don't want a skirt or a dress because obviously you you may want to be covered a bit more so that folks can't you know see right up your crotch and all of that and so it was kind of the converse of what they were thinking that actually I was wearing pants to be modest not to be defiant but it was seen huh. as defiant from another woman from an older generation and my immediate uh angry thought wasn't even personally about me it was more so about this is a fucking diversion, right? Why are we talking about Shauna's pants when we have mission work to do? We're planning to go overseas. We're uh, feeding the poor. We have a literal domestic violence shelter that's a a 501c3 nonprofit of this congregation. And you're worried about my attire right now. And that's when I knew very clearly it literally had nothing to do with me and everything to do with the person's offense or or level of offense to what they felt was inappropriate and i i guess she could have called me wildly inappropriate too but not appropriate or professional by their standards for the role and i chose to opt out and i kind of feel like Sydney is doing something similar where she's like, I'm not, I'm not entertaining this foolishness because the more I'm entertaining the foolishness, the less I'm doing my actual job, which I am highly qualified to do. Thank you very much. So I don't have time to engage with y'all trolls. I'm going to give you one post and keep it moving. And that's it. And, you know, it really is a reflection of even as we sit here and say, what makes us uncomfortable and why? And what does that mean? Because I can say, yeah, that attire may make me uncomfortable, but if I'm truly about DEI, I'm going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that you have the right uh, and freedom to dress however you want, regardless of my comfort or not, because it's not about my comfort. It's about your comfort in your own skin. I want yeah. you to be comfortable yeah. and safe. Right. Um, and so, you know, where's the priority? Self or others? And usually it's self. And from what I'm hearing with the men that have the critique of Sydney is all about self. Sydney, you are making me uncomfortable by what you have on right now. Yeah. 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 Framed in professionalism. It's really interesting yes. with this, yes. this intersection of professionalism and sport, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I feel like I'm unpacking this as I'm talking because it just popped into my head. And I think about like, where are the rules 
about what is or is not professional attire for um, sports personalities, coaches, athletes, right? I'm thinking, you know, we have right. there are uniforms, right? Right. Um, and then, you know, I'm thinking about the Olympics, actually, <clears throat> and the women that were disqualified from that ski event because their outfit was too loose. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, absolutely. And Lisa, I saw that story actually. Um, I forget what outlet it was on, but I saw that story. And for me, the jury is kind of out on that story because, you know, we hear so much about women's attire being too tight in many circumstances. But this one, I think it was something related to aerodynamics and that the looseness of the suits could in some way give a benefit aerodynamically. Um, Usually when we think when we think of loose in, in the, the triathlon community, we're thinking drag. So we're, we're yeah, thinking about, you don't, you don't want it to be loose. Yeah. 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 You're like, uh, no, that would probably slow you down. Um, but this case, I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. I need to read a little bit more, Lisa. Yeah. And I haven't read kind of the social media milieu, um, in response to that. I've definitely seen some headlines that are, there's some outrage around it because it was five women, no men happened to be in the right. situation. Um, and these were, suits I guess they had worn in other Olympic competitions so there's nothing new or different about the suits that they were wearing so it felt right. arbitrary perhaps um mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you know so that's that's an intersection with a with a pr- professional outfit and sport right but the the argument there is that the outfit gives or would have given these women some kind of speed advantage right and then, right but when you're thinking about coaching or, um, you know, this, I'm thinking about the young woman in that high school that was a couple of years ago now, African-American woman who was disqualified from winning that race because her swimsuit was too tight. It was a high school race. And so, um, and so it was about yeah. modesty, right? So yeah. then you've got this kind of like professionalism and swimming and, these imposed ideas of what isn't is not modest that has absolutely jack shit to do with her capacity to swim and run a race it wasn't really about any kind of advantage right right and you're you're disqualifying someone on the basis that you feel like she's being modest like I don't you know so it's kind of this weird because it's the sport is you know, it's not professional, you know, professional attire mm. isn't like a suit or business casual or what we might consider mm. kind of this white dominated idea of professionalism. You've got all these different outfits. Right. So it's so interesting to me about why these trolls and these detractors, mm-hmm. you know, their own discomfort, it's just curious in sport, right? Right, right. Right. Exactly. Well, you know, I've even looked and, and again, here we go with the clash of, of race and gender and what's appropriate and what's not, you know, again, this is not a new story. It feels like Groundhog's Day a little bit, but, you know, I've seen plenty of photos of white uh, reading, white reading female coaches on the sideline in heels and very few people really mentioned it you know they kind of looked a little bit but it wasn't like a huge social media fallout it's like oh women are here they're going to coach and dress the way they want to coach let's keep it moving you know to what level I I almost feel like the 
the intersectionality of the identities that continue to pile on will determine how outraged people are, right? Like I'm, I'm waiting on the next level. Like let's say right, the next right. level will be uh, a, a, a trans woman of color coach that shows up wearing something that somebody is uncomfortable with. Like, I, I just feel like it keeps piling up and piling up. Yeah. And yeah. the problem is never that person. <laughs> the problem right. is the, the norm that's been there. And now all of a sudden, oh my goodness, now we have, you know, we have title nine. And so women are showing up and they're showing up exactly how they want to. How about that? Right. And so, you know, I, I think, you know, we really need to kind of hold, you know, what the, I would even say what the pre-title nine norms were to now what they are. And what does that mean for individual statements and mm-hmm. not caring about how anyone responds to them? Yeah. And then, you know, I'm thinking about my uh, Target example and it was, um, mm-hmm. it was like, it was unconscious in the sense that it was instantaneous, my judgment. Like I can't, it didn't build. It was just suddenly there. Right. And then yeah. I caught myself and I think, you know, I probably haven't caught myself on every judgmental occasion, certainly, but how do so all these people that are tweeting and complaining and attacking you know how then in sport where this isn't an uncommon issue right i mean it's been in the media and in the cultural right. narrative around the right. disproportionate treatment of women at any any place in sport and how they're judged by how they look or what they're wearing i mean so this is not like a novel thing so how do we right. get folks to realize it's a it's a mirror right if they have that gut kind of trained like Pav- Pavlov's dog or whatever that thing is, you know, mm-hmm. reaction, judgment, how how are we then encouraging people to catch themselves and then think about why they're responding that way? Right, 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 right. Well, and, and you know, usually what happens, I, my, my favorite word these days, Lisa, is disrupt. You know, usually what's happening is that people are being disrupted, meaning that we all have been unconsciously used to seeing the the white guy coming out on the floor with his paper balled up in his hand with a suit and tie on and walking in. And that's what we've all been groomed to see and recognize without even naming it. So the millisecond anyone shows up with anything different from that unconscious bias, all of a sudden it's a big deal. And it's a disruption literally to our brain to say, wait a minute. It's Uh it's almost like looking outside and seeing that snow is red. Like, no, it shouldn't be because we've unconsciously known that snow is identifiably and exactly white, right? Well, coaching has been, you know, unchallenged as white and male for so long that now that it is challenged as non-white and not male all the time, and that comes along with a particular style, it's literally disrupting our brains where we have to process something different that we haven't gotten used to processing yet. So I love it. You know, I I think that's where, you know, we, we get the opportunity as people holding the mirror up to ourselves to say, oh, yeah, Shauna, I know that you've spent 20 some years watching March Madness and you've primarily seen, you know, mm-hmm. 90% white males walking in with their suits right. on. Yep. Once that 10% comes in, don't rush to judgment, but rush to understanding mm-hmm. 
and also to be clear on what the purpose is. The purpose really isn't a fashion show anyway. It's the game, right? And the credentials of the person. And so, yeah, I I think it it takes a little bit of reprogramming for all of us. Mm -hmm. Um, But that that comes with that mirror and thinking, oh, I'm being disrupted right now. Yeah. And, And getting comfortable with doing that often. Yeah. And a willingness to recognize that, right? Because I think we are so easily able to accept the status quo as neutral Mm -hmm. or normal. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, pink trousers and a white turtleneck become wildly inappropriate in the context of what is normal and neutral for that role. Um, Which, you know, it's just you know, before you and I got on the podcast, we're talking about it. And I'm just like, I don't even know, like, I don't even know what to say. It's just stupid. Right. And yeah, I realize that's yeah. not a very intelligent critique, but it's like, do you even take <laughs> a second critics to step back and recognize the emptiness and ridiculousness of the things that you're saying? Like any self-reflection there whatsoever? None, none, none. And, and, and that's, that's where I appreciate what we call people to do as they listen to our podcast every week is to think through, what are you doing? What is your reaction? How are you personally being disrupted? And sitting with that a bit versus pointing the finger in the other direction of, because I feel like all of this is, is blaming coach Sydney for disrupting our unconscious bias when actually we should say, thank you for disrupting our unconscious bias. Now we can continue to uh, be open and embrace when those, those disruptions happen because they need to happen, right? If we can't say we want more women in sport and we want especially more women in, um, uh, levels of power in coaching, but then have a problem with how they show up. Right. Right. Yeah. Makes no sense. We'll give you this little tiny box and that's where you have to stay. Um, so right. Behave, right. right. I, I mm-hmm. make calls and I'm giving you this space and there's only enough space for one of you. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And that, yes. And that leads to performative measures, which that's a whole nother podcast, right, Lisa? Yes, indeed it is. Oh, gotcha. Well, let's get into the the hell yeah and the hell nah. I feel like this whole episode has been a hell nah all to itself, but we've, we've got more, people. We've got more. Let's get into it. Hell yeah. Hell nah. So just a quick hell yeah for this week. Kudos and congratulations to Erin Jackson, the first African-American woman to win a speed skating medal at the Winter Olympics in Beijing. When I saw this, I was hype. I was really hype. And when I got further into her story, you know, Lisa, you and I, we we spend a lot of time uh, <laughs> trying to understand why people are just so ridiculous uh, most of the time. But here's a story about someone who's not ridiculous. Uh, kudos to Aaron Jackson, but also kudos to her teammate. Um, so Aaron Jackson had a slip during her trial and missed uh, going to Beijing by one slot. Um, and her teammate gave up her slot in order for her to be able to go to Beijing. Like it, it gave me goosebumps um, when I read that story of the graciousness and humility um, of that teammate. I mean, that's a true teammate right there that's willing to give up possibly a once in a lifetime experience in order to be an Olympian. So kudos to Aaron and her teammate um, for just really showing up and showing out for the U.S. Olympic team. So congratulations on bringing home gold. 
Yeah. Yep. She did the right thing. Nice. Okay. So our hell now, how could we possibly not comment on this, right? It is the Joe Rogan saga. And if you do not know what this is, it will take Mm -hmm. you no more than about 10 seconds on Google to find a litany of articles about Joe Rogan and his show on Spotify and how folks are reacting to his perpetuation of disinformation about COVID-19 and the vaccinations, but also, and where we're going to focus our hell not, is on his prolific use of the N-word historically throughout his shows. So um, there's been a number of artists, musical artists, who have taken their product off of Spotify Mm -hmm. and Indie also put together a compilation of clips from his show because it was also um on youtube or it's mm-hmm. filmed and uh where the n-word has been used by either him or his guests and so mm-hmm. that was broadcast and that obviously went viral and got a lot of attention and that precipitated joe rogan to apologize mm-hmm. um so what do we think about that shauna <laughs> mm-hmm. well you know i i thought I thought we were done with this conversation, Lisa. I mean, I thought we were done with the N-word conversation. Joe Rogan, it, it, it's it's interesting to me because I, I feel like I should be an apology aficionado, right? Like I'm always looking at how people apologize because I want to be able to do it better. I I suck with apologies. And so I'm always studying them to try to figure out what works, especially with these types of missteps that happen all the time. And look, I'm giving major side eye to Joe Rogan because once again, I feel like the apology is reactionary and performative because when India Ari puts together a compilation that basically drags out all the receipts of Joe Rogan using the N-word and that in and of itself elicits a response, that tells me that you would not have apologized on your own if it had not been for someone dragging your your dirty laundry out in the street and now you need to make some corrections and you know given the demographics of his listenership 71 percent male and you know these are folks that are kind of split between high school college grads etc to me i'm thinking to myself you know (laughs) this gentleman has always been there kind of pandering around to his audience and i'm I agree with Trevor Noah on this. Once Joe Rogan stepped out of his lane and got into, you know, a main street of individuals, he realized that "Mm -mm, we're not putting up with that. We're not tolerating it and we're not saying it's okay. And you need to be accountable for what you've allowed and what you've said. Um, So kudos to India Ari for pulling out all the receipts, but Joe Rogan, mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. (laughs) just no. No, I know. And it's tough, right? Because Spotify won't can him because they have some ridiculous multi-million dollar contract with him. Um, and another point right. that Trevor Noah had made was related to how I believe Joe Rogan had said something like he didn't use the N-word um, to be racist. You know, I'm not really mm-hmm. sure in what context it would be used other than that. Um, and he was using it in reference to other comedians who had used it. Um, But that's not the only way, right? But the piece that Trevor Noah made was that he knew it would be funny, right? He knew the use of the word would be funny, 
um, right. and uh, because he knows his audience. And that's the problem because this connection with race or racism and comedy right. has a long, long history in the United States. And as a white man, he absolutely knows that, right? Because he absolutely. is integrated into a system of white supremacy that absolutely positions folks of color as comical in certain ways. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, absolutely. And and he knew what he was saying. And I'm sorry, but Joe Rogan, you cannot hang out in the Black comedic royalty of Red Fox and Richard Pryor who use that language, even as it makes me uncomfortable as a black person, because my ear is just not used to hearing it. So when you might see a snip of Red Fox or, or uh, Richard Pryor stand up, it, it is even a little hard to hear. But even with that, Joe Rogan, you cannot put your name in that list of prolific black comedians who have right. used that word to make their living, not allowing it, just not. So shame on you, Joe Rogan. Mm -hmm. Shame on you. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Live Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Women in Triathlon Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Lindsay Glassford. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social at try to defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women in Tri. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time. Whether you run, ride, hike, or swim, you understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging, genetics, and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. You'll get a daily action plan with personalized guidance on the right exercise, nutrition, and supplementation for your body. And when you connect Inside Tracker with your Fitbit or Garmin, you'll also unlock real-time recovery pro tips after you complete your workout. It's like having your own personal trainer and nutritionist in your pocket. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty and use the code feisty for 20% off. That's insidetracker.com forward slash feisty.